Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. For those of you who are listening to this online, I just want to make this uh, statement as we start. We started the sermon by playing a video that you can find on YouTube. So before you continue to play the message, I ask you to stop the message if you're listening online and go on YouTube, and it's called The Backwards Brain Bicycle, and is episode number 133 on the Smarter Everyday channel. And I would encourage you to, again, pause the message and watch this seven-minute video so that you're on the same page as those who are hearing this message live. Okay, so now that you're back, and we've all seen the video, wasn't that amazing? That was absolutely amazing. One simple change in the gears, in a little gear contraption that controls the handlebars versus where the front wheel goes, and we reverse it, and everything he knew on how to ride a bike, he couldn't do. But did you notice the three lessons that he learned? Welders are often smarter than engineers. Knowledge does not equal understanding, and truth is always truth, no matter what you think about it. These are all biblical principles. All three of them. Welders are often smarter than engineers. God calls the weak of the world to confound the mighty, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Additionally, when we look through, he shows how hard it is to make a complete reversal in our line of thinking. Notice it took him, an experienced adult, eight months to unlearn a habit that he had been built up his whole life. Think of this as we put, on the, we put out the old man and put on the new man. But his son, a little child, become like little children, took two weeks. Much easier to unlearn a habit when you have the mind of a little child. When we have been used to doing things the same way for so many years, it's easy to fall back into old habits if we do not stay focused on the right way of doing things. It took, him eight, it, it took him eight months to unlearn his old habits. It took him 20 minutes to fall back into them. It took him 20 minutes to fall back into them. He struggled a little bit, but it didn't take him long, if he wanted to, to fall back into his old habits. It was an amazing video that I saw last week that had so many biblical principles in it. And again, finally, he showed why it's so much easier to change when we have the teachable mind of a little child. As we mature as individual Christians and as a functioning family here, it is critical that we continue to study our Bibles and expand our knowledge of God, His Word, His Law, and His ways. It solidifies our faith in him so that we will never waver, so that we will never question our faith in him, that we will never question the truths that we know to be true. But our growth cannot stop here. It cannot stop here. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And touch on part of the passage that was read during the scripture reading. Proverbs chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 5. 
Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve her. She will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. God here draws a clear distinction between knowledge and wisdom and understanding. A very clear distinction. We can have all the knowledge in the world. We can have all the biblical knowledge in the world. But if we never grow in wisdom and understanding, we are useless to God. So this afternoon, let's take a look at knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And let's see why knowledge simply is not enough. And that growing in wisdom and understanding transforms us from self-serving paper tigers to profitable servants of God. Let's start by looking at knowledge itself. Knowledge is good, and it is part of the foundation. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowledge is, is good, it's essential, and it forms part of our foundation. So this is not a negative sermon about knowledge. Knowledge is key. Knowledge is part of the foundation. It is fundamental to our growth. Second Peter chapter 1. We reviewed this list last year, these characteristics. I believe it was last year or two years ago. And how these characteristics were placed in a specific order for a very good reason. And that they represent key aspects to our growth as Christians. And we build each one upon the other. We had talked about how the ingredients are like a pie. And you do the, the baking of a pie. It must be done in a certain order. And then afterwards, in discussing it with some of the others, a, a, a more complete analogy would have been a stepping stone to a destination. That you, the, 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 the bottom of the stair is always there, and then you build on additional stairs so that you reach your destination. We had talked about it, that in the after portion. So let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. You're there, I'm not. Let me get there and catch up. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge. Notice that knowledge comes early in the process. You begin with a faith, and your virtue is your your good-heartedness that you want to become a better Christian. So to that, you add knowledge. We reviewed that last year. The word knowledge is the Greek word gnosis. This is one of the, the more famous Greek words that most of us, even if we're not Greek scholars or interested in the Greek language, we know this. Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. In Strong's, it's 1108 in the Greek dictionary. And it means general intelligence, general knowledge, especially of things lawful and unlawful, for Christians. So again, it's general knowledge, general intelligence. And it forms the basis from which our faith is built. Virtue, we generally lead a good life without the knowledge of God. We come into the faith, and to this we begin by adding knowledge. We begin by reading the, reading 
the scriptures. We develop an understanding of God's way of life, what he expects of us, his laws, his holy days, his plan of salvation. We develop a, a general understanding of what it takes to be a Christian, a follower of God. That's where the knowledge part comes in. It delineates us from agnostics. A-gnosis. A meaning without. Who believe that nothing can be known, nothing can be really known, nothing can be really proven about the existence of God. So this knowledge allows us to form an understanding and to form a basis that we believe, we have faith that God exists. And to that, we see the other characteristics that we covered in that message added to it afterwards. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, agape. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As we consider developing a knowledge in God, developing developing a belief that he exists, developing a basic foundation of what it means to follow him, but what it means to believe that his ways are right, that his system of worship is correct, that the history that we have in the Holy Scriptures is real and valid. We see here in Romans chapter 1 that when we read this passage, simply opening your eyes at any point in history and surveying the power of God through his creation and the, works of, and the works of his hands should provide us with enough knowledge that there is a God. And read how, read how Paul words it here. It's very, I won't give it away here. We'll go into the scripture and read it here. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. We have his creation to show us tangible evidence that there must be a God. That he does exist. His invisible attributes. Something that we can't prove. Something that we can't prove scientifically. That there is no no true tangible evidence of his, his attributes apart from his creation. We see his creation, and what does he say here? Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And we see how mankind has done that, gone from worshiping a creator to worshiping the creation. And we see here what God says here about the fact that there is a creation, that for as long as we've been around, 
while we haven't seen God, we know there's a God because we are without excuse because of this creation. And that is the knowledge part of forming a foundation that there is a God. Knowing, even though I haven't seen him, that I have enough knowledge that there must be a God. And as I build my faith and as I work through that, there is a God. Let's go back to Peter's list in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Knowledge is, in, is in critical. It is important. It helps us know that what we're doing is right. It helps us begin a, a, our walk with God. When we are, think back to when you were first called and you had very little knowledge of God, you had, you would have been living a virtuous life. That's why virtue comes first. You would have been, would have been living a good life. And then something happened and God revealed himself to you in whatever way he revealed himself to you. He reveals himself in various ways based on our mindset, our, our, our point of view, our, our past, things that, that we can connect. And then let's go back to Peter's list. To your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Critical, critical, critical. And then we see what we listed there, all of those other attributes that are added to knowledge. And we think of the staircase that we talked about. So we've got faith. It has to, it has to start somewhere. Now you have to start with something. So the first step is faith. I'm, I believe that there is something. There is something more to this life than simply nothing. Than simply 70 years and then we stop breathing and die. There has to be some, there's more to this life than this. I don't know what it is, but at some point we come to the, the, the first understanding that there's, there's got to be more to life than this. So we add to that virtue. There has to be something good to this. There has to be, I, 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 I don't know what it is, but I feel the need to live a good life. So I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do the right things. And then God reveals himself through a little bit of knowledge, like we read in Romans, that through his creation or however he revealed himself to you, we, we figure out that there's a higher power. There is a God. And then he adds, but he doesn't stop there. This list that Peter has here are these intangible qualities that we put on, self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and agape. Because knowledge is never enough. We can't stop with knowledge. Knowledge is not enough. That's why it comes early in the list, but there's so much more that follows it if we are to mature properly. And a quick survey of Scripture shows this clear theme, that knowledge is never enough in God's eyes. It's not enough that you're a PhD in the Hebrew Scriptures or you're a PhD in the, in the Greek Scriptures. It's not enough that you know more than everybody else that, in your circle of friends about the Bible. It's not enough that you have all this knowledge. It's a perfect, it's a great foundation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, but it starts there. But let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. And we'll see a smattering of scriptures here. And I chose a few. There, there are so many. Never anywhere in scripture do we see that knowledge is enough. Whenever God mentions knowledge, there's always something to, to accompany knowledge. Second Peter chapter 3 and in verse 18. 
Verse 17, let's start there. You therefore, beloved, since you know this from beforehand, since you know this knowledge, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. When, knowledge, when you rely on yourself and your own knowledge, God tells us to beware. Beware our own steadfastness. Being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With knowledge, we accompany it with grace. And we'll get into some of these meanings as we go along. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. In his introduction, the beginning of his letter to the Philippian church, we know we studied this one of his with the first first letter that we studied as a congregation back a couple of years ago. We know that this was a very healthy congregation. It was it's one that we aim to model ourselves after. Philippians chapter one and verse nine. Paul and his complimenting the congregation also encourages them to continue to be better. To continue, not to rest on their own steadfastness, as we read uh, Peter, as we read what Peter wrote. And this I pray, verse nine, that your love may still may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all this and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We see the encouragement here to develop your knowledge, to continue to study, to continue to build your, found, your, your wealth of knowledge in, what, in understanding God and his law and his ways. But we see the encouragement to not just stick with knowledge, but to discernment, sincerity, to not be offensive, and to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. So there's so much more to add to this knowledge for it to be effective. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. Verse 14. Again, reminder, the context of this letter is Paul's last letter in the final weeks or months of his life as he's encouraging his protege, young Timothy, to as a leader in the church. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. With nothing behind knowledge, it's of no profit. There must be something to accompany this, to make it valuable, to make it useful. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Knowledge, for, to be able to divide the word of truth, knowledge must be the foundation. So knowledge, knowledge is, is key. It's part of the foundation. It's, it's, it's valuable. And we see many times continue to grow in knowledge. So it's something that we can't forget to do. We can't stop studying our Bibles. We can't stop learning. But, verse 16, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. 
a misuse of knowledge or an absence of applying knowledge in the right way leads to no profit, leads to idle babblings and profane, profane exchanges, profane babbling, profane and idle babblings as the Bible calls it. Flipping forward a page to chapter 3. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So again, knowledge is key. Knowledge is important. Scripture teaches us knowledge. Knowledge of God's ways, his doctrines, his laws. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the, but there's a reason. So it's not just to teach us knowledge, but it's to provide us with everything we need that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Knowledge forms the basis so that with it God can add other of his characteristics and make us useful to do work for him. We can't have knowledge for knowledge's sake. We can't have knowledge to just expand and become smarter. It has to. It's 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 useless. It's profane babble, profane and idle babblings. It's to no profit. We take it and we add the characteristics of God, so that we become useful to Him for every good work. So we'll be are thoroughly equipped, not just equipped, but thoroughly equipped, completely equipped to do work for Him. Hebrews chapter five. We studied this letter last year. And we see here, and we are reminded from our studies, how Paul takes them to task here, because given their base of knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, given their, as a culture, the the Hebrew culture, their vast expanse and years and centuries and millennia of of knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures and their access to God's to God's. Uh, way of life. Uh, Sister Livia in the Bible study was talking about how the southern kingdom had the temple and it had the priesthood. They had, they had uh, more direct access to truth. We see here Paul taking to task that despite all of this history that they had and all this access to this knowledge, they should have been much more further along in spiritual maturity. Verse 11. Let's start at the beginning of the sentence in verse 9. In verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God, oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So again, these aren't newbies. These aren't new folks just learning the knowledge of that. These are folks that have had access to the Hebrew Scriptures for years and centuries and millennia. And 
not adding anything to it has them being no further ahead than someone first walking through the doors here. We have to have our senses exercised. There has to be a reason for us to have this knowledge. We have to do something with it. We have to be growing in character here so that we, we are not just idle babblers with the, the vast knowledge that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So just the scriptures that we're going through here clearly show that knowledge is, is important. Knowledge is, is foundational. It's, it is key to building our faith. But it can't stop here. Nowhere does God say, put on knowledge, and that's all he says, and doesn't back it up with something else. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Faith and knowledge are simply starting points. That's a good thing. They are starting points. But they are rendered useless without these other qualities, like agape. We have all the knowledge in the world. And if we don't back it up with something, if we're not using it, to become better servants of God, to put on the qualities and character that God needs us to put on, if we're just about acquiring all of this knowledge so that someone can look at us and be so impressed with all that we know, we're just clanging symbols. We're just clanging symbols. When we see symbols in a band, and we remember when our brother Frank, Frank Klett had the choir and he had the, the band, there were symbols in that band. But they were used properly, and they were used in conjunction with everything else. So symbols are a good thing. But if they're just clanging, they're not music. And they have no real value. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Pastor Adrian talked about this in the lead-up to his congregational prayer about trials. I believe he was, even in his prayer he mentioned this. Here in the context of trials, verse 2 of James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfected work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. All God wants us is to ask for wisdom. And he wants to take us to that next level. But we need to ask. We need to want wisdom. Like Solomon that we heard about in the youth study last time. Solomon asked for wisdom. He could have had anything in the world that he wanted, but he wanted wisdom. He didn't want knowledge he wanted wisdom. Now, of course, his use of wisdom at the end point of his life, when he became an older man, we obviously know that he made decisions that were not right. But in his asking of wisdom, was very right. That is something that we can emulate. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, notice 
Knowledge is good, but it is never enough. First Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Knowledge alone simply puffs us up. It makes us arrogant. It makes us hard to deal with. It makes us um, difficult to be around. But love edifies Love's, love gives knowledge use. Love makes us useful. Love gives, lets all of this knowledge that we've acquired to form our faith, gives it a reason for being there. It gives it a reason to change us. This is just a general sampling. We could go deeper and pull out a concordance and look up everywhere God mentions knowledge. Never does he say, get knowledge. Just get knowledge. Get understanding. With all of your getting, with all that you do, with all that you acquire, make sure it, it, wisdom and understanding accompanies it. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We know that there is a set of writings in the Bible known as the books of wisdom. The books of wisdom generally referred to as Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And they typically follow the books of the law and the historical books. And this, when you think about it, especially in the context of what we're talking about today, makes sense. They add context and they add reason to the details of the history and the law that form the foundation and the beginnings of the historical record. We have the history of creation, we have the history of the patriarchs, we have the history of the kings, we have the history of the, of the, the uh, Moses and, and, and lead up into the kings, we have the history of the judges. The books of wisdom sort of give it context. Why, why is God telling us all of this? To give us wisdom. To take, to take the knowledge that we've read about creation his law, how he expects us to live, what his people did with all of that, and it provides context. It gives us, it, it provides us, it helps us an opportunity to learn from that, from all of that knowledge. Proverbs chapter one. Let's. How does the Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, open this extensive book of wisdom? Verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and their riddles. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. We develop a respect. This is a, a, a positive fear, a profound respect of God through knowledge. When we see all that creation has to offer, when we see all that, all that makes us without excuse, it provides us with a profound respect for God. But if we stop there, we're considered fools. Because beyond that, there's wisdom and understanding. And we need to take that to the next level. It needs to mean something. And here, Solomon collects all of these, this wisdom that God provided him with and collaborates this into this one text that we know as Proverbs, continues in Ecclesiastes. And here he starts out by saying what this has to offer. And this first six verses is why he wrote this, why he put pen to paper, why he collected this in, in one, one place, so that there's wisdom and instruction and understanding and justice and judgment and equity and discretion and wise counsel. There has to be a reason for us to have knowledge. It can't be just for knowledge's sake. Chapter 4. Let's go to back to where we had the scripture reading and dig into this a little bit more. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Knowledge does indeed come first. God provides us with doctrine. He provides us with knowledge. He provides us with his law. When I was my father's son, verse 3, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Back in verse 4, we'll pause there for a second. Let your heart retain my words. Wisdom and understanding change our heart. They, they help us put on this new man that we learn about later on in Scripture. Wisdom and understanding give us reason to change. Give us reason to change who we are. Verse 8. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory she will deliver to you. You become... It becomes evident when we put on wisdom and understanding that we are a different person. That there's something different about us that there's something honorable, that people will be able to see that we are different, that they are edified by us, that, that we help our instruments of change. Hear my son, verse 10, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Wisdom and understanding prevent stumbling that could happen when all we have is knowledge. When all we have is knowledge without use, we could stumble. But wisdom and understanding allows God to lead us in the right paths 
And when we walk with wisdom and understanding, which is what he's talking about here, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let go and keep her, for she is your life. Dropping down to verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the feet of your path, uh, the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. And do not turn to the right or the left, and remove your foot from evil. We see what adding wisdom and understanding to a vast amount of knowledge does to us. It allows us to stay focused on the right direction. It gives us purpose for being. It allows us to change who we are, to become something that is honorable to God, something that makes us an ornament of grace, as he says here, and to wear a crown of glory, something that that can glorify him as we, as we make these changes in our lives. It prevents us from stumbling. How many times in the vast, when, when we were young in the faith and, and, and coming into all this knowledge, did we perhaps stumble and offend because we wanted people to know all of this knowledge that we had, but we didn't apply it in a right way? We see here the importance of wisdom and understanding. Let's take a look at a couple of biblical examples of folks who had a ton of knowledge and then learned the value of wisdom and understanding. Let's go to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We are just starting to study the book of Acts, so we'll get to this in the coming months. But here, Paul recounts his history and begins by acknowledging his thorough and dedicated studies of the Hebrew scriptures at the feet of highly respected Pharisee teachers. Let's look at what Paul talks about his past and and where he was when he was a young man. Verse 37, then Paul Acts 21:37 Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks he said to the commander may I speak to you And he replied can you speak Greek Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4000 assassins out into the wilderness But Paul said I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia Cilicia a citizen of no mean city and I implore you permit me to speak to the people So when he had given him permission Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that, he spoke, and when they heard that he had spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you, are all to, as you all are today. 
I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. We won't continue. We'll let the rest of the after Paul's calling. You can take that time to read that there on your own. But we see all that Paul was. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew everything there was to know about the Hebrew Scriptures. In fact, he was so dedicated, he followed everything they said. And he was sent to, he did such a good job persecuting Jews, or persecuting Christians, that he was sent to do more. And he was sent to, to do more and do what he was good at, which was persecuting Christians, because he had this vast knowledge. He had no wisdom and understanding, but he had this vast knowledge, and he put it to good use according to what he thought was right. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. He sort of continues later on to the, the church in Philippi talking about this very thing. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1. Finally, my brethren, Philippians 3 verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. When it was about me, he said, it was all about my own righteousness. And when he was called aside by Christ and blinded and the scales were ripped off of his eyes, he saw that it was completely meaningless, that all that he had stood for, all of everything that he knew meant nothing given the character that he was building. But when it became about something else, when it became about the 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 understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when it became about the gospel and helping others see this, it gave him value. It, gave, it put all of this knowledge that he thought he knew, all of a sudden it came to light. We, we, hear, we read the other places where it talks about the scales coming off of his eyes, where he was blinded by all this knowledge, he was blinded. And when, it had, when he had reason to be, when he understood all that Christ wanted him to be, the knowledge was good and became useful only when he understood there was something more to it than, than just his own righteousness, as he writes here, when it's beyond himself. 
Verse 12. Even with all of this, he came to understand that while he originally thought he was a perfect Jew, back in verse 6, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, concerning the righteousness and the standards that he was held to by those who taught him, he was considered blameless. Then when the scales came off of his eyes and he understood there was more to it than this, what became blameless? Let's read now his attitude in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. The more he knew, the more, less perfect he realized he was. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. He was not yet perfect, but he was in the maturing process. And he real, that when it became less about knowledge, he realized how much further he had to go. That all of this knowledge that he thought he was blameless, that he thought he was, he was everything he was supposed to be. He was the perfect Jew. He was circumcised on the exact day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the stock of Israel. Concerning the law, he, was, he lived everything the Pharisees said he should live. So he knew everything until God opened his eyes and he thought, what's the point? There has to be more. There, there is more to this than just the accumulation of knowledge. Let's go to Job chapter 10 and look at the second example. In Job, for those of you who recall, Pastor Adrian gave a detailed message on Job three to four years ago. But let's look at the interaction between Job and God as someone who, and notice Job was a man who thought he knew it all, who thought he had all knowledge, and then came to a, a, a came to his knees in understanding how little he actually knew. Job chapter t- uh, ten, verse one: My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God. Do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you, he says to God, that you should oppress? Does it seem good to you, God, that you should oppress me? That you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have have eyes of flesh or do you see as, as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man that you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know that I am not wicked, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. You, don't you know who you're talking to, God? You have no idea who you're talking to? You're, you're going to talk to me this way? We see a snapshot of Job's arrogance and his reliance on his current understanding of how things are. This is how he understood things were. Job 13. Let's go forward. Continuing to talk. Behold, he says in verse 1, My eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. 
I get it. I know, I, I, I know what I'm talking about here. I've seen it all. I know what I'm talking about. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. He's, of course, talking to his critics in this case, not to God. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. I have enough knowledge that I'm able now to reason with God. That's how much I know. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning, and heed the pleading of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes and your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. It's my turn to talk now. I've heard you talk. I'm now going to talk. Let me come on. Let Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He shall also be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If I now hold my tongue, I perish. I'm now going to go before God, and I'm going to tell him why he needs to save me. I'm going to tell him, and he's going to hear. Because I've, I've done it all. I've got it all written out, and I've got it. And there's, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a faultless case. He can't deny me with everything I'm going to tell him why he needs to do this for me. It is a faultless case. I get it, he says, but here's my case, and God will listen. Job chapter 38. God finally... I guess Job has talked himself out, has given God a chance to speak. God answers Job, verse 1, and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Who is this who prepares words without knowledge? Idle babblings, as we, as Paul wrote about, or Paul wrote about these idle babblings. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. If you've got all this understanding, if you know everything, you tell me where you were when I was when I when I laid the foundations of the earth. Who determined its measurements? How did I explain it all? You know everything. Tell tell me how the world works. Tell me how the, the earth spins on its axis and how the earth is just the perfect planet with no we couldn't have life anywhere else. You tell me how we did that. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Who's, who's got it under control? Why is, why is everything, everything in sync and nothing gets out of whack? 
Where were, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you? Where were you when I did all this? You know everything. You've got your case laid out. You tell me. And then we won't go into, we won't read chapters 38 and 39, but they're full of rhetorical, they're rhetorical questions. There's no answer for them. Everybody knows the answer. But God presents him with a list of rhetorical questions. And then in verse chapter 40, Job is allowed to come up for air. Verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yet twice, but I will proceed no further. But God's not done. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard your vain babblings between you and your buddies for so long. I'm not done yet. And he continues. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Can you, can you affect things the way I can affect things? I'm standing. Go ahead. and Let me see you do it. Adorn yourself with the beauty that I can adorn myself. Change people's character the way I can change. Show me. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in, in hidden darkness. Do this then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Go ahead. I'm, you can show me, and, I'll, and if you can prove it to me, go ahead and save yourself. Go ahead and give yourself the glory that I can give you. And we see here that God presents these rhetorical questions here to Job. First, it's about creation in chapters 38 to 39. He just takes him through the entire creation process and everything that happened as God, as God made the earth and set it up the way it was to be set up. Because remember what we read in Romans, that gives us no excuse. That gives us no excuse. That is what proves God. And then here, he cuts out a creation, he talks about the real meaning of life, real salvation. Go ahead and save yourself. Show me. And we see here, we can, and you can read the next two chapters, 40 and 41, about how God just laid into Job and asked him all of these questions. Then we see Job's response. Then Job in chapter 42 answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful, which I didn't know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. His level of knowledge didn't increase. He knew, he says, I know you can do everything. He was, and when you take time to read the book of Job, he knows what God is. 
But his level of understanding was, was magnified immensely. See what he said in verse 3. I have uttered what I didn't understand. I had all these vain babblings and I tried to tell everybody how much I knew when I really didn't understand a thing. I had no clue. I thought I knew. I thought, I thought all of this knowledge was enough. But now I get it. Now I get it. I get how, how small and how little I am. All this, that you had, all this knowledge that I had, all this that I thought I was, I realize how little it is in your eyes. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a self-help book from 1989 by Stephen Covey, a well-respected author and educator. The book starts out, and you, several of you have probably read it. You've probably got copies or have seen copies. His son is now falling in his footsteps after uh, his father, Stephen, that we're talking about here, died within the last five to seven years. The book starts out by teaching that different perspectives exist, that two people can see the same thing and still differ in opinion with each other. And then he begins by showing the principles that help us build effective relationships. He titled the fifth habit, Seek First to Understand, and then to be understood. Just allow me to read a bit of an excerpt here from the chapter. Communication is the most important skill in life. You spend years learning how to read and write, and years learning how to speak. But what about listening? What training have you had that enables you to listen so you really deeply understand another human being? Probably none, right? If you're like most people, you probably seek first to be understood. You want to get your point across. And in doing so, you may ignore the other person completely, pretend that you're listening, selectively hear only certain parts of the conversation, or attentively focus only on the words being said, but miss the meaning entirely. So why does this happen? Because most people listen with the intent to reply, not to understand. You listen to yourself as you prepare in your mind what you're going to say next, the questions you are going to ask. You filter everything you hear through your life experiences in your frame of reference. You check what you hear against your autobiography and see how it measures up. And consequently, you decide prematurely what the other person means before he or she finishes communicating. Does any of that sound familiar? Oh, I know just how you feel. I feel the same way. I had the same thing happen to me. Let me tell you what I did in a, in a similar situation. Because you, li- you often listen autobiographically, you, in- you tend to respond in one of four ways. By evaluating. We judge and then either agree or disagree. We probe. We ask questions from our own frame of reference. We advise. We give counsel, advice, and solutions to problems. Or we interpret. We analyze others' motives behaviors based on our own experiences. That's an excerpt from that fifth habit called seek first to understand, then to be understood. And we can extrapolate that and put that into our communication with each other or how we listen to God. We often read the Bible with preconceived notions in our mind and seek to find our truth in the Bible. And we'll go study to prove our point. 
rather than read the Bible for what God is saying. Like Job said, I thought I knew, but now I get it. Now I get how powerful and magnificent you are. I used a term back in my opening statement that knowledge without wisdom and understanding makes us paper tigers. The definition of a paper tiger is a person who appears to be very powerful, but is in fact weak, ineffective, and unable to withstand challenge. We can see how Job and Paul, in their early lives, were paper tigers. They were magnificent guys who knew a lot. But when God challenged them, they couldn't withstand his challenge. They could withstand anything. They could make themselves out to be very magnificent. We see all that Job, he took on Elihu, he took on Elihu a little bit. Elihu was the, the, the wise young man. The other three, he took them on face to face and he went back and forth and wouldn't even listen to Elihu. And then God stepped up and proved that Job was just a paper tiger. He was full of knowledge, but had no, no wisdom or understanding. We see Paul, very powerful, killed Christians, persecuted Christians, helped kill Christ, helped kill Stephen, knew everything there was to be about a Jew, knew he was a perfect Jew, a perfect Pharisee. But when Christ stood up to him and removed the scales from his eyes, he realized he was just, he was just a mere man and ineffective as the rest of us. Simply being a wealth of biblical knowledge does not make us effective servants of God. Knowledge is critical. We must know God's word. We must know his doctrine. We must have faith that it is true. We must never waver. But wisdom and understanding help us apply it properly and transform us into effective servants for God. So as each of us grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let us seek first to understand and then to be understood. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.